Acts chapter 9, and we'll look at the first 31 verses of the chapter all collectively tonight, but for our scripture reading, we'll be reading down through verse number 9. The Bible says there, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he may bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither neither did eat nor drink. The title of the sermon this morning is this, From Persecutor... To persecuted, from persecutor to persecuted, uh, Saul would go from being the one persecuting the church, in, in in short order, he would be persecuted as part of the church. Let's pray together. Lord, help uh, the message tonight to be uh, sensical, understandable, and Lord, help uh, each of us to take from the message what we need. Help each one of us tonight, Lord, to be led by the Holy Spirit in our listening. May we not just hear, but may we listen. And, Lord, may we listen not only to the preacher behind the pulpit, but the Spirit of God within our own spirits. And, Lord, where applications are needed, would you make them for us and help us to be aware of that and then quick to yield to you so we can be more like you and more like the way you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When it comes to salvation, no one, No one is outside of God's reach. Oftentimes it is those who are most passionate in their fight against God, uh, God's cause, that end up becoming the ones who fight the hardest for God's cause. Those that fight the hardest against God's cause oftentimes become the ones that fight the hardest for God's cause. It is natural for us to just give up on people natural. You see someone um, who uh, you can't relate with, and what do you do? Uh, If you do what's natural, you distance yourself. When we feel attacked by someone, we distance ourselves. When we feel as though someone is of little use for our end cause, we can be tempted to distance ourselves. None of these responses are right, but all of these responses are natural. If we feel someone's a threat, we put distance. If we feel someone is um, uh, of little interest in what we want or what we're about, we distance. And this distancing is not God's desire. It's not always God's plan. God looks to take these misguided people with their misguided passion and redirect it for His honor and glory. Now, in certain uh, forms of uh, certain types of martial arts, you can be trained uh, to use the momentum of your opponent 
in order to defeat that opponent. How many know what I'm talking about? Someone comes at you and you use their momentum and their strength to end up defeating them. And instead of combating the person's strength, you use that person's momentum to bring them down and defeat them. And this is what's going on here with Saul of Tarsus. Saul had uh, uh, been a very zealous man and uh, had thrown many, many people from the church uh, into jail. He sought to defeat the church, but God was going to take Saul and convert him from a persecutor of Christ uh, to being persecuted for Christ. He was going to go from throwing those who were bearing their cross in jail to bearing his own cross for the cause of Christ. Um, Christians, Christians, we must learn to think like Christ. We must quit writing people off so quickly. You see someone who doesn't look like they have any interest in God or church in the Bible. They've got a mouth that's foul and dirty, and uh, they live a lifestyle that you would label uh, blasphemous. And you look at that person and say, you stay over there. You are my enemy. And God looks at someone like that and says, that person is so zealous and so energetic and so passionate. How can I use that in my kingdom, in my kingdom? That cousin, that co-worker, that neighbor, that high school friend that seems to hate God and attack your faith. Yes, even they can be reached. Even they can be used for God's glory. Let's never, ever, ever assume that anyone is too far gone from God's reach, from God's reach. This evening, I believe that when God's mercy reaches in and saves your soul, you become a new creature. And when that genuinely happens, there should be some stark, stark, drastic changes to who you are and what you are passionate about. Christians must band together and help those who are new to the faith. We must embrace them and love them and help them. Uh, we must provide care and help to those who are seeking to grow in their new faith. We must love as Christ has loved us. Um, when my father was a young man and he got saved, I think he was 14 years old, he uh, showed up to youth group that same Sunday. He showed up in the evening and there were other teenagers there. You understand my dad was a 1970s hippie with hair down to his shoulders and, uh, you know, dressed like a kid from that era would have been. And he walked in and he looked nothing like the rest of the kids in that youth group. That youth group had developed a culture where the boys wore a shirt and tie and the girls wore modest dresses or skirts. And my dad walked in, this shaggy-haired uh, street kid, and uh, he came back the next Sunday morning and went to Sunday school. And the kids embraced him and loved him and made him feel like he was a part of them. And because of that, he kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. But my dad had told me, he said, if they had treated me uh, where they had pushed me out and made me feel like I didn't fit and I wasn't welcomed, he said, I probably would have never gone back to church. You see how when new people join our, join in on our worship, join in our services, come into our life groups, come to an activity, they may not look like you. They may not have all the lingo down. They may even let a curse word slip when they're talking to you. Uh, they may speak in a way that uh, makes you cringe and makes you uh, uh, feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, they may have habits that aren't uh, Christ-like, and they may be new to this, and they may still be trying to figure all this out. But when they come 
come to our church, boy, we need to embrace them and love them and help them and give them that space and that grace to grow. So we're going to look at five thoughts this evening from Acts 9 as we consider the story of Saul of Tarsus as we look at this title from persecutor to persecution. Okay, point number one. Here we go. Let's jump right in. Notice Saul's contempt. Saul's contempt. Saul was on a mission in the early part of Acts, and it was not pro-Christ. It was not pro-church. Saul was doing everything he could to take the church down, to, to terminate and exterminate Christians. Look at verse number 1 of Acts chapter 9. The Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Let me pause the reading there. His breath. You know what? He woke up in the morning and his very breath was, how can I catch me another Christian? How can I get me a Christian and lock them up today? This is what he went to bed thinking about. This is what he woke up in the morning thinking about. He was breathing out threatenings, constantly looking for that next Christian he could lock up, he could put in jail. Look at verse 2. And desired of him the high priest letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he may bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Well, we know what had happened. Saul um, oversaw the death of, of Stephen. Remember that? The coats were laid at Stephen's feet and uh, the uh, Stephen, uh, rather Saul's feet, and Stephen was martyred. And then that just opened up the floodgates and persecution poured on to the church of Jerusalem, headed up by Saul. Saul was the one leading the charge, uh, dragging people by the nap of their neck out of their houses, throwing them in jail, some of them probably even being killed. And they had uh, uh, wreaked havoc on the church of Jerusalem. And what happened? Well, we saw a couple of weeks ago that suffering brought about the spreading of the seed. And a whole bunch of people in the church of Jerusalem left Jerusalem and took the gospel everywhere else. I imagine there were plenty that stayed. And Saul did everything he could to find those he could and lock them up and put them in jail. But there came a point where there just weren't that many more people for him to find and lock up. And so what did he do? He wasn't content with having wreaked havoc on the church of Jerusalem. Hey, if the people had left, well, then he was going to go follow them. So he goes to the high priest and he says, I need you to give me letters. I need you to give me jurisdiction and permission to go outside of Jerusalem and find Christians in Damascus, Syria. This is another country. And if I find them, bring them back here. Boy, this guy hates Christ. This guy hates the church. This guy is determined to eradicate Christianity. If there was a man that you did not, uh, that, that you would have hated in that day, it would have been Saul. He was hated. He was pushed aside. He was not wanted by any Christians because Saul, when he saw a Christian, saw someone who he felt deserved to be in jail or to be dead. Saul hated the church. Saul's contempt. Number two, notice Saul's conversion. Saul's conversion. How does Saul go from being so zealous in his hatred for Christianity to becoming a Christian? Well, notice letter A, his stubbornness. His stubbornness. I love how the word stubborn has two B's, two N's, and stubbornness has two S's in it. That's a stubborn word to spell. Amen. 
And um, uh, you look at the screen a couple of times on that one. Stubbornness. Now look at verse number 4 and 5 here. And so uh, on this road to Damascus, a light comes and knocks him off of his horse. Verse 4, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, notice this next phrase, why persecutest thou me? Now, a quick point I want to draw out of the message this evening. When the church is persecuted, Christ is persecuted. Was Jesus directly being persecuted here? No. No. Saul was not persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus so loves the church that when the church is attacked, Jesus takes it personal. Do you understand how important church is? The church is the representation of Jesus Christ on the earth. We are to be faithful to it. We are to love it. We're to give our heart to it. We're to give our money to it. We're to give our energy to it. Uh, why? Because the Christ church is the Christ, and Christ is the church. Here, uh, the church is being persecuted, and uh, Paul, uh, uh, rather, Jesus does not say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou the church? He says, why persecutest thou me? Look at verse 5, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And so he doesn't know who he's talking to. There's a bright light that's knocked him off the horse. He doesn't know who he's talking to. The Bible says, and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Look at this next phrase. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know what that means? I have been bringing conviction into your heart, and you have been pushing back on that conviction. I have been trying to convince you to come to salvation, and every time you are resisting and pushing away, it has been difficult for me to bring you to that point of salvation. I referenced a moment ago Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was stoned. It was Saul overseeing his death. Stephen's testimony must have been a point of conviction. How could have it not been? Can you imagine standing there and you're overseeing the death of Stephen? And Stephen doesn't fight back. He stands there and he's letting rocks hit him and he looks up into the heavens and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And then he says, do not lay this sin to their account. Wow. Well, this is not... Uh, uh, Stephen didn't have a vengeful spirit, but Saul sure did. Saul sure did. He hated the Christians. He was vengeful toward the Christians. I, I wonder if there was a time where Saul went and kicked a door down and grabbed a daddy and drug him out or grabbed a mommy and drug her out and took her, her or him away to prison and was amazed at how kind and caring and compassionate those Christians would have been, may have been, toward him even though he was being less than kind to them. Jesus had taught, love your enemies, Matthew 5, 44. Do good to them that hate you and Pray for them that despitefully use you. Here, Saul had experienced Christians treating him quite different than maybe he would have expected. These were points of conviction in his heart. But Jesus says here to Saul on the road to Damascus, it is hard for thee to get against the pricks. I am convicting you. I am trying to draw you, but you are pushing back on that drawing. Why? Because Saul was stubborn. He had the Torah. He had Moses and the prophets. To him, the law was God. The law was God. No man could be God. For a man to declare himself 
God in the mind of Saul as a Pharisee, that was blasphemy. And I'll just make a quick application of it here. Many people today don't get saved because they're just flat stubborn. They're stubborn. They hear the gospel. They understand the gospel. They understand that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross for them. Why don't they get saved? Because they're holding to a religion. Or they're holding on to their pride. And they refuse to humble their heart to be saved. Here Saul had been knocked off his horse by a bright light. Jesus was confronting Saul face to face. And for the first time, uh, or rather, and the first thing Jesus says to Saul is, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Why are you doing this to me? And then the next thing he says is, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In essence, he was saying, Saul, Saul, you are one stubborn man. I just want to say this evening that if you're listening to this message, whether it's via live stream or you're sitting in the room and you're not truly saved, uh, and it's because you are a stubborn person, please understand that uh, your stubbornness will keep you in a state of unbelief and will one day send you to hell. Stubbornness in some ways is good. When you're stubborn about doing right, that's good. But when you're stubborn against the God of the universe, that's rebellion and that will send you to hell because you refuse to accept Jesus as your way to heaven. Let her be. Notice, speaking of Saul's conversion, notice his submission. His submission. Look down to verse number 6 of Acts chapter 9. The Bible says, And he saw, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I, I, I try to put myself in Saul's place here. You're, you know, you're just riding along to Damascus. You have plans for what you're going to do. And lo and behold, this bright light, this blinding light, hits you in the face and knocks you off your horse. How many of you here ever fallen off a horse? Anybody here ever fallen off a horse? I've fallen off a horse when I was a little kid. Knocked the wind out of me. I landed on my back, couldn't breathe for about 30 seconds. Getting the wind knocked out of you isn't fun any way it happens. Falling off a horse... That's a scary experience, especially when you're a little guy. And uh, listen, Saul's knocked on the ground by this bright light. He's probably disheveled and bewildered and, and, and dumbfounded and confused and, and, and speechless. And, and he's trying to gather his thoughts. And Jesus is saying, hey, man, what gives? Why are you persecuting me? You know, I've, I've been trying to reach you, but you're ignoring all of my efforts. It's hard to kick the against the pricks. And Saul responds, well, what do you want for me? What do you want me to do? Now, sometimes, listen up, this is important for all the soul winners in the room and everyone who desires to be a soul winner. How many here today have someone in your life that you care for deeply that you believe is lost? Would you raise your hand? You have someone in your life you care for deeply you believe is lost? This is a good tip for you right here. When hardships land in someone's life, that is a prime opportunity to give them the gospel. It may not be a light that knocks them on the ground, but it may be a hardship that knocks them off their high horse. When that happens, you need to be there to tenderly and compassionately and with great discernment give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in these moments where that life has them uh, uh, turned around and confused and discombobulated that they very well may humble their heart 
and accept Jesus. Many years ago, I was knocking doors in a very affluent neighborhood and homes of one, two, and three million dollars. And, you know, I'd walk down the driveway and walk up the sidewalk and knock on a door. And I felt like it was six or seven minutes to get over to the next door because the properties were so big and spread out. And I remember after about four or five doors thinking, I'm just wasting my time here. These people are rich. They have money. Uh, They're not going to want anything that I'm uh, trying to uh, uh, give or or offer with eternal life and church, uh, invite to church. And and about the time I was going to give up, I knocked on a door and a uh, man came to the door and I told him who I was and he stepped out on his porch and closed the door. And I did not lead him to Christ, but I had a 30 or 40 minute conversation with him and he was going through a just a horrible, hard-hitting divorce. Here this man was. He had everything in the world. He had nice cars in the driveway. He had a beautiful home. Uh, He had everything that the American dream is. But in his hardship, having been knocked off his high horse, his heart was open to the gospel. Here we see that uh, submission is key to letter C. Notice salvation. Salvation. His salvation. We're talking about Saul's conversion. What brought about his conversion? Well, he's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christ in the church. And he's knocked off his horse by a bright light laying there on the ground. The Lord confronts him. Jesus confronts him. He submits and says, well, what is it that you want me to do? Look at verse number 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened... He saw no man. Why? Because he he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Now, when exactly did um, Saul get saved? Did he get saved right there on the road? Was it at that moment he put his faith and trust in Christ? I don't know. I don't think so. I'll tell you what I think it happened. I think it happened somewhere between him being led by the hand into Damascus and the third day. I think he had three days to sit there and think about what he had been doing. Think about his encounter with the Lord. And somewhere in there, he chose Christ. He chose to be a believer in Christ. Three days he sat there blind. Three days he did not eat or drink. Three days he must have thought through all of the things That had happened. Saul would have been at an age where he would have known who Jesus was. Saul would have been alive when Jesus would have been killed and probably have been a young adult man. Saul was around uh, uh, during all of the events that took place with the death and resurrection of Jesus. No doubt he knew, uh, but he did not believe. He knew, but he held to the sect that persecuted the church And during those three days, great clarity came to him and he decided to choose Christ. In his sorrow, in his hurt, in his struggle, he came to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see number two, Saul's conversion. Notice number three, Ananias' compliance. Ananias' compliance. Letter A, notice hesitation expressed. Look down at verse number 10 with me. Verse number 10. Let's read down through verse number 16. The Bible says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, 
and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, and that he may receive his sight. All right, Ananias is in this vision in the middle of a dream, and the Lord comes to him and says, Ananias, I've got a job for you. I want you to go to this street, named Straight Street, find a man named Saul. He's from Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, and uh, he's blind, and I want you to put your hands on him and give him his vision back. Now, you know who Saul is, right? Ananias knew who Saul was. I'm sure word had spread, hey, this guy named Saul is coming. He's thrown a lot of people in jail, and he's coming to your town. I mean, I'm sure his uh, picture was probably hanging up on the cork board in the lobby of the Church of Damascus. And they said, hey, you see this guy? Stay away from him. He's not any good, right? Uh, Avoid this guy at all costs. And there was no doubt fear and terror a little bit in their heart about this guy. And we can understand the hesitation. Look at verse number 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man... How much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. Look here. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the Lord tells Ananias, you need to go and you need to follow my orders and you need to lay hands on, um, uh, on Saul and you need to uh, confirm him in the faith. And Ananias is like, uh, that guy, are you sure? Are you sure that's the one? And the Lord said, yes. Uh, he's going to go from being the persecutor to the one that is persecuted. Letter B, notice hands laid upon, hands laid upon. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hast sent me. Now, to all of you here that are familiar with this story, uh, as I am, all right, can I just say that there are little things that we may miss. Because this is historical and we become emotionally withdrawn. Do you think it's possible that Ananias knew people who were sitting in prison or dead because of Saul? It's definitely possible, isn't it? Do you remember Jonah when he was told to go to Nineveh? How he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Brother, uh, Brother Kyle, you've been teaching about this, right? Amen. I, I haven't looked at your subject or all your material. You're teaching on Jonah, so I'm sure this has at some point come up. Why is it that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because the Assyrians and the Ninevites, Nineveh was a city in Assyria, were brutal. They would uh, skin Jews alive and hang their skin on the walls. They're brutal. It was so brutal that when Nineveh was finally destroyed, nothing has ever been built there since. Uh, God's judgment rained down hard on Nineveh when that judgment finally came. 
And so the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because Jonah hated the people that lived in Nineveh. He hated them. And I can see why Ananias would have or could have hated Saul. But God said, I've chosen them. I have a task for you. I want you to go in there and do it. It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is that you comply, that you obey. And Ananias walks in the room. And the first thing Ananias says is, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. He confirmed him. Now, we looked at this idea of laying hands being laid upon uh, with the Samaritans. And Peter and John came and laid their hands on the Samaritans and how that was a sign of identification. They were identifying with the Samaritans. Here, Ananias laying his hands on Saul is identifying with Saul and accepting him into the Christian fold. Let her see we see Holy Ghost filled. Holy Ghost filled. Look back at verse 17. The Bible says, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me and that, that thou mayest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. At the time that the hands were laid on Saul, again here he received the Holy Ghost. And then we see also that he was baptized a little later on there. I believe that's verse 19. Look at letter D with me and notice healing of his eyes. Verse 18, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized, and was baptized. When I was a young man, 10, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, I used to pray for my grandmother to get saved. And I'd pray something like this, Lord, if you can knock Saul off his horse with a blinding light, then do the same thing to my grandmother. Whatever it takes to get her attention. And, and one, one day when I get to heaven, I'm sure God will give me some clarity on this. I don't know why God goes the extra mile for some, but not all. But I will say that um, I believe God can convict and push and prod. At the end of the day, Saul still had a choice. He still had to choose Christ. Even though he had been knocked off a horse. Even though he had been blinded. Even though Jesus had audibly spoke with him, he still had a choice. And he ended up choosing Christ. So we see, number one, Saul's contempt. Number two, Saul's conversion. Number three, Ananias' compliance. Number four, notice Saul's change. Saul's change. Letter A, notice his preaching was immediate. His preaching was immediate. Look at verse number 20. Acts chapter 9, look at verse number 20. The Bible says, In a straight way, he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Look at there. Straight way, straight way. He got saved. He got baptized, spirit-filled. got his sight restored. And straightway, immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogue. Verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed. I'm sure they were. And said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on the, this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Now imagine that you have someone who is your worst enemy, and you happen to be locked in a tight space with them, and they're bigger and stronger than you, and they ball up their fist. They're getting ready to take a swing at you and you flinch and you put your hands up and they take that fist and open it and reach in their pocket and give you a $100 bill. You'd be like, what? What's going on here? 
Uh, is this like laced with anthrax or something? What, what, what's going on? Are you, you trying to kill me? Uh, how are you? Uh, what, what, what's really going on here? And so when Saul shows up in Damascus, he walks in the synagogue, and all of the Christians who were there must have flinched and ran for the doors, and all of a sudden, from right outside the synagogue, they hear Saul preaching Jesus Christ, him crucified, and risen from the dead. And they must have been totally confused by what was going on. But Saul's change was immediate. Now, I'm just thankful that Jesus saved my soul. And you know what? I care so much about other people that the moment He saved my soul, all I wanted to do was tell others about Jesus. When I was in the first grade, we had a little boy named uh, Matthew who was attending school, uh, but not the church. And I I had a burden for Matthew to get saved. And as a six-year-old boy uh, would, I tried to ask him about his salvation. I attempted to witness to him. I attempted to lead him through a prayer. I'm sure I didn't actually lead him to Christ, but I had a burden for him because I had just gotten saved a couple of years earlier. And boy, it was important to me that everybody here and everybody know the gospel. This is not something I'm telling you to put myself up on a pedestal. If the Lord really has saved you and you have a burden for others the way Christ does, then your preaching of Jesus should happen immediately. His preaching was immediate. Let her be noticed. His understanding increased. His understanding increased. Look with me in Acts chapter 9 and look at verse number 22. The Bible says, but Saul increased the more in strength. And confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Now, while this was a pleasant surprise for the Christians, this was absolutely horrible for the Jews. Saul's coming to town, and boy, they're excited. Saul's going to come and help us catch us some Christians and lock them up. And all of a sudden, he walks in and starts preaching Jesus and they're scratching their heads. The, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees are scratching their head. What is going on here? So they sit down and try to reason with Saul. And, and Saul is increasing in his wisdom and understanding. And he's able to beat them at their own debate. Well, of course, because he knew their debate. He was able to take it to them. The Bible says they were confounded. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 11. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 11. Now, in a little while, uh, Saul is going to leave Damascus. There has been some confusion amongst theologians about where Saul went right after he left um, Damascus here. Acts would seem to indicate he went straight to Jerusalem, uh, but I don't believe that's the case. I believe Saul left Damascus, and then he spent uh, some time away, and then made his way back to Damascus, and then on to Jerusalem and the uh, the book of Acts leaves that three-year trip out uh, and um, uh, for brevity's sake, I believe it is. I don't believe there's a contradiction in Scripture here. Uh, But let's look at Galatians 1 and let's see how his understanding increased. Look at verse 11. But I certify you, Paul writes, uh, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me 
by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. So what happened here? He got saved in Damascus, and then for three years, he went to the backside of the desert where he, was, uh, uh, where he met with Jesus Christ and was given the revelation of the gospel. Uh, how many years did the disciples follow Jesus around before he was crucified? Three years. Three and a half years, depending on when they were called. Three to three and a half years. Now, here we have Saul, uh, later his name, name was changed to Paul, Saul did not get to follow Jesus around, but instead of getting one-on-twelve time for three years, he got one-on-one time, one-on-one theory. I'm going to float a theory out here to you, okay? Here's my theory. Um, Do you know what's in Arabia, the desert of Arabia? Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, same place. Is it possible? I think it is possible. I would propose it is likely. Again, I can't prove this. It's just a theory. Is it possible, it is possible, it is likely that God had Saul go to the same mount where he gave the law to Moses and gave Saul the science of salvation. You ever read through the book of Romans and just were amazed at how complex salvation is and how well it's articulated? Is it possible that uh, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus was given there in the uh, uh, Arabia Desert at Sinai, and now here it's being given uh, the gospel, the grace, the new covenant is being given to him here. Three years, three years, he's personally trained by Jesus Christ. His understanding increased. Hey, quick point of application to you, the Christian, no matter how long you've been saved, you should be increasing in your understanding of the gospel. You should be increasing in your understanding. Uh, Most Christians that don't know how to share their faith, can I tell you why it is? They've not taken the time to grow in their knowledge of salvation. We need to grow. We need to learn. We need to study. We need to understand. We need to die deep and understand our salvation. And uh, that will help strengthen our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see his understanding increase. Let her see, notice, his relationship issues. His relationship issues. Issues. Well, listen, this new change for Saul, this 180-degree pivot turn, this, this hairpin turn uh, in his life, boy, created him some upheaval. Notice below that, the Jews wanted him dead. The Jews wanted him dead. Look at verse number 23 of Acts 9. The Bible says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But, they laying await, uh, but, but their laying await was known of Saul, And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Now, why do you think these guys wanted him dead? Because they knew how much havoc he could create against who they were. They knew that he was a wrecking ball against the church. And now that he had converted to being part of the church, he was going to swing back around and be a wrecking ball on them. And so they just said, hey, we're going to eliminate this guy. You know, that's exactly what Satan does. He uses you, and when he's done with you, he discards you. 
Satan wants you to be loyal to him. He's not loyal to you. So we see the Jews wanted him dead. Next notice, the church wanted their distance. The church wanted their distance. Look at verse 26. Now, I believe verse 26 takes place three years later. Okay, from, So from 25 to 26, we have a three-year gap. Look at 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. I, I can hear the conversations that would have been had. Uh, there's no way Saul's actually a believer. He, he's just... Uh, he's just an intruder. He's, he's trying to butter us up and get in. and he, He's trying to uh, 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 gain new sources so he can lock more people up and put them away. But here Saul is a true convert, and even the church is keeping their distance from him, pushing him out. In fact, Saul would go to the grave never having fully restored his relationship with the Jerusalem church because of the pain he had caused so many there in that church. The church wanted their distance. So let, let's finish out the sermon. Number five, notice Barnabas's compassion. Barnabas's compassion. Look at verse number 27. Just like Ananias was the one to receive him there in Damascus, Barnabas is going to be the one to come along and receive him at the church of Jerusalem. Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. I just want to say after reading those verses, thank God for people like Barnabas. Thank God for people like Barnabas. There may be somebody who will watch this or is watching right now. You are what we'll label backslidden. You used to come to church, used to be a part of our church, and uh, you got distracted by sin, and you slid out of here. And you know, people that are that way, sometimes they want to come back to church, but they feel like they can't because they're going to be judged when they do. And I'll say sometimes people feel that way unjustifiably so. If you're watching this right now and you're in that state, can I just tell you this? You are always welcome back at White Oak Baptist Church. Our church is filled with people like Barnabas that will throw their arms around you and love you and restore you and allow you back here. When, when a new convert comes into our church, we're to welcome them into this family. I'm so thankful that this church does not come across as a clicky church. Let me speak to the, the children in the room getting ready to go into the youth group. I know Pastor Andrew will help with this and watch over this and make sure it doesn't happen. But can I tell you what I've seen in youth groups? I've seen this happen a lot. Even behind the youth pastor's back is that a new kid comes in the youth group 
And we don't let them into our inner circle of friends. Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. You reach out and love on that one that's new. Young man comes into the youth group, you boys need to welcome him in. Make him feel welcome. Young lady comes into the youth group, you welcome her in. And you make sure she feels welcome. Someone comes into this church and uh, they don't have everything figured out. I'm thankful to say that this church is very warm and welcoming and diverse, both in age and ethnicity. And boy, we want those ethnicities, uh, uh, diversities to only grow. We want the age diversity to only grow and become more and more. Someone new comes into this church and they might smell like cigarette smoke. They might smell like marijuana. They might have a scent of alcohol on their breath. They might be tattooed up. They may, uh, they may have looked like they dipped their face in a tackle box right before they walked into church. It doesn't matter. If they come into this church and they're ex- exploring, they're trying to find out who we are, they come in, boy, they need to feel as though this church loves them and welcomes them. Let's be that church. Let's be that church that throws our arms around people and welcomes them back. Well, we can't make every person who struggles with sin come to church here. But when someone gets up the gumption to come, boy, let's throw our arms around them and let's wholeheartedly love them the way Barnabas welcomed Saul into the church. And so what applications can you make to your heart tonight? Are you friendly and warm and welcoming to people in our church? Are you that person who needs to um, uh, comply and follow the Lord? Maybe you're stubborn and that stubbornness is keeping you from salvation. Submit, humble your heart, and let the Lord uh, save your soul. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, help us tonight. Help us to make the applications where is necessary. And Lord, help us to be a church that is warm and friendly and welcoming. And Lord, we pray for those who are the prodigals of our church, those who have strayed away and are not currently going to church. And Lord, as their hearts grow warm toward the idea of coming back here, would you move in our hearts and help us to reach out to them and get them here? Lord, guide us and lead us. And Lord, when someone walks through the doors, may we be there like Barnabas to love on them. Thank you for giving him that spirit of encouragement and help us to be the same way. Lord, you work in each heart accordingly. In Jesus' name.